this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. And we're going to start a new series. We've been studying the, uh, we've been studying really characters of the Bible. And uh, we studied the life of Joseph, and I and, uh, really enjoyed that. We studied the life of Jonah. Uh, what, a, what a phenomenal uh, study to look through the, the life of Jonah. And this morning, we're going to start a new study, a new series, on the life of probably one of my favorite Old Testament characters, uh, that being the life of Elijah. Elijah is a very prominent prophet in the Old Testament, uh, though it's funny because he is not mentioned as much as Samuel is. Samuel is probably one of the uh, most prominent Old Testament prophets in the, uh, in the Old Testament at least, uh, but Elijah is certainly uh, a very powerful and a very influential uh, prophet of God. And it's interesting, the life of Elijah, because he kind of just starts off walking onto the pages of the Bible, and he really does not have a whole lot of history. They don't tell a lot about who Elijah is. Uh, but he is, a, uh, he is a brave and a very bold prophet of God that takes a very firm stand against sin. And, uh, and he comes onto the scene here with very little introduction, but he's a very exciting uh, character in the Bible to study. So 1 Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 1, just one verse, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Wow, what a powerful just start and introduction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that we can study. God, that we can read, that we can learn from. And God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person that's here this morning. May we uh, learn and grow from your word. Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The title of this lesson is The Weather. Um, boy, you think, we're going to talk about the weather. You know, that's the topic most people start out a conversation with. And so we're going to start out this lesson with uh, the weather of Elijah and, uh, and, and, and what took place here. And as we look at this verse, we're just going to cover one verse, kind of as an introductory to Elijah. But uh, there is a lot of information that is really packed into this one verse. And uh, the first thing that we're going to notice is the prophet of God. The second word, and Elijah, the Tishbite. And uh, what does the name Elijah mean? Elijah's name means, my God is Jehovah. And uh, that's significant. Today, we don't put a lot of uh, stock, at least I don't think in our society, in our culture, we don't put a lot of stock into the name and what it means. I mean, uh, really, I, I honestly... Sometimes I think today uh, they go for names that are just unique. I mean, they're just shooting for names that are spelled different. They're unique, and, and, uh, and, and that's just the way it is today. But in Bible times, the name that they gave somebody was very significant based on what it actually meant. It was something that was part of their culture and part of their, uh, the way they were, and it was very interesting. And so J Elijah's name means my God is Jehovah. 
And they would know that just by looking at Elijah's name. Now, I don't know Hebrew uh, at all, uh, but, uh, but if you take the first part of Elijah's name, they tell me it's from Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. And if you take the last part, J-A-H, uh, that is uh, for Jehovah. And so you can see where it's God and Jehovah, and they're claiming as he, that's his God. And so anybody that would know Hebrew, which is all the people that were around Elijah, when they would pronounce his name, they would know immediately, ah, Elijah, oh, God, that's, God is his God. I mean, Jehovah is his God. And they would know that just by looking at his name. Go back with me, you're right there in, in 1 Kings, just one chapter to chapter 16. You may have to turn your page back. At verse number 31, and I want you to notice, why is the, the, his name so significant? Well, understand the day and age he lived in. Look in verse number 31, 1 Kings 16, verse 31. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Go back to verse number 29. We'll catch all the context here. I think I missed a verse. Verse 29. And in the 30 and 8th year of Azza, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. So we have a new king that is brought up in Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Now let's just stop right there and understand this, that in that day and age, King Ahab was the king. King Ahab was a wicked king. King Ahab brought Baal worship into Israel. And, uh, and he really, he continued it and made it popular. So for the fact of, of Elijah to run around with the name of Elijah and not change his name was very significant because everybody that, that he would introduce himself to, Hi, I'm Elijah. Oh, Jehovah is my God. That's exactly what he was saying with his name. And so uh, every time that he went to Starbucks and they said, what's your name? And he said, Elijah. And they wrote it on the cup and they called out, hey, Jehovah is your God. Can you raise your hand? Here's your coffee's ready. Every time he went to, uh, to, to the fast food place and they took his name for his order, they would know, oh, this is the guy that Jehovah is his God. He's not worshiping Baal like the rest of the country. He stands for something that is different. And his name was very significant in the day and age that he lived uh, because it was called out all the time. And so you think about uh, the problem in the land. It was filled with Baal worship. Then you think about uh, the parents of Elijah and the very fact that they would name his, his name Elijah, Jehovah, is my God. It tells me that, hey, his parents were godly parents. And he was concerned, they were concerned about raising up children that would be godly children. And, uh, and they had a very courageous testimony naming children, uh, or naming him Elijah, and saying, hey, we're making no bounds about it. It's kind of like Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And there's something to be said about Elijah's name. And the problem in the land of Baal worship and his parents giving him that name and their courage and saying, hey, we are going to take a stand and we're going to give a testimony uh, that was continuous. And then, uh, hey, it was a, a correct testimony. It wasn't, it wasn't probably popular in the culture of the day with Baal worship on the rise and Baal worship being ordained by the king of Israel and being set up and by the queen of Israel being brought in that, uh, that maybe Elijah was persecuted even for his name growing up. We don't know. But I tell you this, it was a constant testimony and it was a correct testimony testimony. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hey, don't be afraid to let people know your name might not be uh, significant in Bible times, but don't, let, don't, don't be afraid to let people know I'm a Christian. I go to church, and I read the Bible, and I serve God, and, and I, am, I am somebody that would, uh, that, that, that would stand against the wickedness of this day. You don't have to be rude, and you don't have to be crude, but you have to just be forthright and say, oh, I don't appreciate that. Or, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't watch that, or I don't drink that, or I don't go to those places, or I don't do those things, and have a testimony that would be forthright and would stand up for the cause of Christ. Elijah's name was something that just stood out in his neighborhood or in his time frame. And, uh, and it was important uh, as we look at this kind of to understand that because it's something you'd read over, we wouldn't even think about that. Uh, but his name was very significant. Look there with me in our text. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Uh, now Gilead, that's, uh, first we look at his name and then we're going to look at his neighborhood here. What is, where's Gilead? Um, as I've traveled around and, and, and realized some, some things, uh, you know, some places are easier uh, than others to live in. Uh, I used to, people, I, when I was a missionary in Peru for so many years, and then we moved to Italy, and people were like, hey, what is, what's the difference between the two? I mean, you know, they would, they, all of a sudden, they wanted to know, you know, which was nicer, or this, or that, and, and, and my answer that I kind of decided that would best phrase everything up is, is Peru was hard to live in, and that, man, you'd get sick, I mean, it wasn't very cleanly, um, you would get robbed at the drop of a hat, not hurt, but just, I mean, they'd pickpocket, steal anything they could off of you. And, and, and so life was difficult. Uh, electricity would go out, water would go out. I mean, just the difficulties of life. It just it was kind of a difficult place to live. And, uh, and, then, and then they're like, well, Italy. Uh, Italy was a nice place to live. I mean, we didn't struggle with all of those things. And, and, uh, and yeah, we still had to be careful of the water and things like that, but it was far less. I mean, I, I got sick far more in Peru than I did in Italy. And, and what are you saying? I'm saying this, that uh, sometimes where you grew up really kind of forms who you are. Uh, my dad was, my dad grew up and, and really all he ever wanted to be in life was a farmer. 
that's what he wanted to be. I mean, he grew up in the country. Uh, he, he grew up riding horses, and, uh, and that was his, his goal in life. And people who would run into my dad later, because he spent 23 years in the military, uh, they look at him and say, your dad was a farmer? Um, you know, because he's an electrical engineer and, and spent all that time in the Air Force, and, uh, and they, just, they just can't believe it. Where you, where you grow up kind of forms who you are. And Elijah grew up in Gilead. Now, where is Gilead and what is Gilead? Gilead is a rugged country. Uh, it was not a place for an easy life. In other words, it was kind of in the mountains and you had to work for every crop that was grown there. Uh, it was not a place for a soft life and it required hard work to make the crops grow. It was very mountainous. And as you look at that, you really get the understanding and realization that kind of formed Elijah into the guy that he was. I mean, uh, he was a rugged character. I mean, he was a guy that would just kind of stand out as, as somebody that, uh, that, that would live and, and do whatever needed to be done to get through life. And you kind of see that by the way he grew up there in Gilead, though we don't know much more about his upbringing. What about his nature? Elijah's nature was obviously fit for the job that God had called him to do. Listen, uh, as we think about that, don't try and be somebody else. You be who God has called you to be. You don't have to mimic somebody else. You don't have to follow somebody else and say, man, I, I want to be like them and, and, uh, and try and do everything that they do. Hey, you be who God has called you to be. God has given you unique experiences as you've grown up in life that you can use for the Lord. And you say, well, how, how can I use this? And maybe it's a bad spot in your life. Listen, there are plenty of other people who have gone through that same bad spot that may need your, your encouragement or your advice on how to get through some of those things. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was your parents got divorced. Maybe it was a bad family situation. And what I'm saying is you can go back and you can use those experiences to help somebody else get through those things in their life. And who you are and what makes you up is what God wants to use. And God can use you. God used Elijah for who he was. Not, God placed him in a place where he could use him uh, for who he was. And he didn't expect him to be somebody else. And so there's a lot that we can learn from just being who God has called us to be. We're, of course, going to look a lot more at the prophet of Elijah, uh, but that just kind of gives us an idea of who he is. As we think about the prophet of Elijah, not only him is mentioned, but as we read through our text, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. That brings us to our next character, Ahab. He was the prince of the land. We have the prophet Elijah, and we have the prince of the land. Uh, if you look back on the life of Ahab, and I kind of read about him and, and looked him up, and who was he? Where did he come from? He was raised as the son of a king who took over, and so obviously he was a prince who became a, a, a king. But we see clearly that, man, if you read through this, you'll find out he was a prince of sin. That's what he really was. And, uh, and as you read through the life of Ahab, it's terrible. What about the country uh, of the prince? 
If you know anything about the history of Israel, Israel had been divided. It's no longer one country uh, during Bible times that, that it should have been. God established it as one, uh, one country under King Saul, and then David became the next king, and after him, Solomon, and it remained united through those three kings, but Solomon was the last guy to be the king in the United Kingdom of Israel. After that, it divided. Rehoboam became king, and if you remember the name Rehoboam, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, and, uh, and he made some bad choices in his life. And, uh, and if you think about it, I think perhaps it went back a little bit further than that, in that when Solomon grew old, the Bible says that he married many wives, and they turned his heart from the Lord. In other words, Solomon quit following the Lord. And so it only would stand to reason then that his son uh, would start out on a bad foot. Uh, he would start out in a bad place. He would start out uh, not in a good place. And, uh, and we find that it didn't get better. And so Solomon's fall departed from God's word. And then Rehoboam only went a little bit further. And when he was confronted with a decision, uh, of course, he, he had the counselors of his father. And he had the counselors of his youth, and he went with his friends and, uh, and trusted their advice. And when he did, uh, the country split wide open. And, uh, and two tribes, uh, Judah and uh, Benjamin, went with, Rah or went with, went with um, yeah, Rehoboam. To the so they were to the south. And Jeroboam then took the northern tribes. He said, what have we to do to the house of, of David? In other words... Hey, that's not our family. We're not following them. And, uh, and he took and, and divided the rest of the nations to the north. And can I just say this? This is so pertinent, and this verse sticks in my mind time and time again. The Bible says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's true today. That is the Word of God. Righteousness will exalt a nation. There is nothing that thrills my soul more than the prospect of, of abortion being overturned. There is nothing that thrills my soul for our country's sake uh, than, than a direction of turning back to righteousness because righteousness exalteth a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. And so we can see uh, that, and, and I'm glad about some of those things. And I know our country is not going completely in the right direction. I'm not ignorant of those things. But I'm just telling you, when I see a little uh, shimmer of light in a direction, man, that, that pleases me. And I think, man, that's good. Uh, I hope people wake up and realize how far we have veered from the Word of God and from righteousness. And so we find here that the country was... Uh, was divided. It had been wrecked, really, by sin. What about all the rulers of the country? Jeroboam, we went through a little bit of that. After Jeroboam, who was wicked, by the way, the Bible says that, uh, it said that in, in verse number 30 of, of chapter 16. No, it was verse number... 31, and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So Israel started off completely on a wrong foot. Jeroboam, 
uh, was not for righteousness. Jeroboam was not known as a godly king. Uh, Jeroboam was known as a, a, as a king who led the nations against God and in sin. After Jeroboam, Nadab ruled for only two years, and he continued in the same sin of Jeroboam. After that, uh, Basha, uh, he reigned for 24 years. He killed all of Jeroboam's family. And, uh, and took over. I mean, you talk about uh, a bloody regime that wanted to, to completely wipe it out. I mean, he didn't want Jeroboam's family to ascend to the throne. And so he wiped them all out and killed every one of them. And he waged war against Judah. He ruled for 24 years. Then Elah, he only ruled for two years. He was Basha's son, and he lost the throne. You go back and read it. It's kind of amazing to read the history of the kings. He lost the throne because of drunkenness. In all reality, that's what led him to lose the throne. Two years. Zimri, he ruled for a whole whopping seven days. And, uh, and he was killed by Elah uh, and all the family of Basha uh, and stole the throne. Or I'm sorry, he killed Elah, uh, the drunken king, and all the family of Basha and stole the throne. And then Amri, uh, he arose and he was king for 12 years. He was also a wicked king. And then after Amri was Ahab. And so we, we see the line, there is nothing but, but, but murder, drunkenness, wickedness that is in the entire line of the northern kingdom's uh, kings. And, and it's nothing but problems as you look at the country where Ahab ruled. So you don't expect much, to be honest with you. You don't expect a godly kingdom. You don't expect God to be exalted. You don't expect righteousness to be exalted in this land, which is a lot of why God sent Elijah to that place. And so we see all the rulers that were there. What about the religion? We talked about that already, that it was a, a wicked history. It was not uh, a God-honoring country. It was contrary to God, and they worshipped Baal. So as we think about Ahab and his country that he, he ruled, it was not a good place. It was a bad society. And uh, it was something that was just uh, waiting, really, for the judgment of God to fall on it. What about the character of Ahab? Okay, we see that he's in a wicked place. What about the person himself? Back in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30, we read this just to briefly comment on the fact that there was Baal worship. But look with me there in verse number 30. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. In other words, man, we just went through all the kings. And they were wicked. I mean, they, they killed one. Of, they slaughtered families. They, they did everything wicked. They exalted Baal. Uh, um, they exalted idolatry. And as it goes on, and then Ahab comes on the scene, and boy, he just goes a step further. Uh, I mean, he's not turning around and going back to righteousness. He just takes a step further into sin. And so we see his character. Uh, we stopped off there in verse number 31. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. 
And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And we find that, uh, boy, he was a leader in wickedness. And he led the country in wickedness. Not only that, but his companion, you see there in verse number 31, uh, that he took to wife Jezebel. I, I find it interesting how that's worded. The Bible says there in verse 31, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. In other words, eh, that's not enough. I'm going to turn around and take uh, to wife the king of the Zidonians, uh, Jezebel. In other words, she was already known to be a wicked person. You go back and study his family, uh, of, or her family rather, of the Zidonians, and, and they were wicked people. They were not a good people. And so he chose somebody that was also in wickedness. And, uh, and certainly it was a bad thing in choosing all that. You can really see the character of King Ahab. You can see his companion, that uh, his wife was also just somebody that was uh, not heading towards righteousness. And so you see kind of the stage set. Here's the man of God who is a rugged man, somebody with a solid testimony uh, that, that wants to serve God. You see all of Israel, just a wicked, corrupt place that's led by wickedness and being run in a direction of wickedness. And I want you to notice there in, as well in the last part of our verse, I want you to see the prediction or the prophecy that is given. He says there in chapter 17, verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. It is amazing to me. Here you have Elijah, the prophet of God, and, and a godly man, a godly testimony, a godly heritage, walk into a, a wicked palace and a wicked place with a wicked king and a wicked queen to, to boot, and, and he just... I mean, he doesn't mince words. I, I can just kind of picture him going in and, and just pointing his finger right in his face, saying, hey, God's judgment is going to fall. There's not going to be rain. There won't even be dew on the earth until I say so. I mean, you talk about bold. That king is, is there, and I, I mean, given the history of Ahab, given the history of Jezebel, given the history of the families, I mean, it, it wouldn't take them two seconds just to think, Hey, lob that guy's head off. I don't want to hear that. I mean, they wouldn't even bat an eye at that kind of stuff. They would just, uh, and so you see the boldness of Elijah just waltzing in. And, and look at what he says there, his wording. I want you to notice his preface. He starts off right here. He says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. He starts off by saying, hey, listen, the God that you're downplaying. The God that you've forsaken. The God that you turned your back on. He's not a dead God. He is a living God. You can't ignore the fact that He is alive and that He is reigning. And they may be worshiping Baal, but they need to understand that the Lord of Lords and King of Kings is still on the throne in heaven. And Elijah makes no, uh, no doesn't mince words when he comes out and he says, Hey, the Lord... God of Israel liveth. Not only does he tell them that he's alive, but he also reminds them, hey, this is Israel's heritage. This is where Israel belongs, under the Lord God. And, and that is Israel's God. 
even though you've forsaken him, even though you've turned your back on him, even though you are not following him, uh, he is still God of Israel. And we see that very clearly in the text. Not only that, but I want you to notice the, uh, the particulars that he says there. He says, look at what he says. There shall not be dew nor rain. And, uh, and, and it's amazing. He says, hey, there's not going to be a drop of rain. You know what happens when, when you take away all rain? I mean, it's not long and your crops don't grow. My wife was commenting the other day, she's got some plants and uh, she's got a little above ground garden that, that, that she's planted some stuff. And, and we were so busy with VBS all week long. And she's like, man, I was all worried about my, my flowers and my plants, but the Lord watered them all for me. And I didn't have to worry about watering them. And I didn't have to worry about taking care of them. The Lord did all that and they're still growing and they're not dead. Praise the Lord for that. You know what happens when it doesn't rain? All your plants die. Now, we, we just go to Walmart. We just buy our groceries, but you buy tomatoes, you buy it. So we're so far removed from that. But if, if it doesn't rain and your plants do not grow, then you, it's not going to be long before you don't have food. And if it doesn't rain and your plants don't grow, not only are you not going to have tomatoes and cucumbers and all of the stuff that you grow in your garden, the animals that you're raising that you can eat, they're not going to be able to drink anything. You know what happens when you don't, when you don't water animals? They die. If they don't have water, they're not going to live. And so what you're looking at is a serious problem of food in this country. We're, we're kind of far removed from that. I mean, it would have to be a, a major global impact in order for us to understand some of those things. But they didn't have the shipping that we have today. They didn't have big semi-trucks that would stop and bring stuff from place to place. They didn't have those things. And so if it didn't rain, it was a serious problem in that place. And Elijah is saying, hey, there's not going to be any rain. It goes further than that. He said, there's not even going to be dew. Could you imagine? In other words, you wake up in the morning and sometimes if you go out there, man, the grass is all wet. I, I remember working at camp and having to walk across the field and, and uh, man, you'd walk and you, your feet would be soaking wet by the time you get to wherever you go because the dew was so thick on the ground. It didn't rain, just the grass was all wet from the dew. And, uh, and there wouldn't even be dew on the ground. So the plants wouldn't even get any water whatsoever. But then he says, for how long? Until I, he says, nor, nor dew, be dew, nor rain these years, but according to my word. He gives an inclination of how long this drought is going to last. Hey, it's going to be years. You're looking at a serious problem. It's, this is not something that's just a month, not just two months, not just a, 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 a week. He said years until I give the word, until God tells me to tell you. And, uh, and, and what, a, uh, what an incredible judgment that God sent on the nation of Israel. And as we look at it, I love this. Elijah says this, go back to his words, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. And then he ends it with, but according to my word. Listen, Elijah was a, a, a righteous man. Go with me to James chapter 5 and verse number 16. I'd like you to see this verse, James 5, 16. We quote this, and we say this, and we think of this verse. Save your spot there in Kings as we'll be back. But James 5, 16, the Bible says, 
It's a verse on prayer. And he says in James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And in the second half of the verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Verse 17, Elias, who is Elijah, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. He says there in verse number 16, the latter part of it, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. It tells me this, that Elijah, the prerequisites to the prophecy, was that Elijah was a washed vessel. He was right with God. And he said, hey, I want to be right because I want God to be able to use me. And if God's going to use us, well, we've got to be right with God. We've got to have a clean vessel. And God wants to use us. And Elijah was a clean vessel. Then not only that, he was a willing vessel. He said, he didn't say, God, you really want me to go to Ahab? You know how wicked of a king he is? Jezebel, are you kidding me? They'll grab a sword and lob my head off right then and there. He, he didn't give excuses. We don't know the backdrop, but I'm telling you this, that Elijah was willing and he said, God, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. We watch as you go through the life of Elijah, you will see Elijah as one of the most uh, moldable prophets that just says, God, I'll go where you want me to go and I will do what you want me to do. And he is fearless and brave and courageous as he continually submits himself to the will of God. And Listen, God will use us and stretch us in ways I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, uh, that, that I remember when I surrendered to preach, I was a 13-year-old, young, backward, shy kid. And I thought, God, I don't know how you'll ever use me, but whatever you want, I'll do what you want in my life. Hey, listen, if you'll just give yourself to God and say, God, I'm yours, I'll do whatever you want, you'd be amazed. You, you'd say, man, I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm right with you, man, I'm a, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? But God says, oh, you can. I'll empower you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll give you what you need. You just be willing to do what God wants you to do with your life. And he'll use you in ways that you wouldn't imagine. You say, man, I, I didn't know God. I didn't know my life would do that. I didn't know I was able to do that. But God is able to. And I'm sure Elijah looks back over his life. He's like, man, I didn't know all that would happen. I didn't know all that would take place, but I'm glad that I submitted myself to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. And God, sometimes the things that we undertake seem so difficult, hard, or even impossible. But God, if it's something that you're leading us to do, I pray that you'd strengthen us, 
Help us to submit, embolden us. May we be strengthened by the courage of Elijah, the bravery and the boldness of Elijah to follow you. God, may we be challenged in our lives to follow you in all places and in all times and in all things. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that's here this morning. Thank you for their faithfulness. And God, I pray that you would just give them a, a good day and help them as we think of this text, Father, to have that in mind. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. You can do that today. Simply calling on Him. He wants to save you. Maybe there's something He wants you to do. You're concerned about doing that. Hey, be willing to, be willing to do it. Just by fact that you're still here on this earth, God wants to use you. I'm not saying he's going to call you to preach. I'm not saying he's going to send you to Africa. Maybe he's got somebody, though, he does want you to witness to. Maybe he's got somebody he wants you to encourage. Maybe he's got somebody he wants you to pray for. Maybe you're an example to other people and you don't realize it.